Welcome to Young Urban Zen. It's good to have you all here. And um, my name is Michael, and I live here at San Francisco Zen Center. And um, yeah, the Young Urban Zen folks used to um, um, be here um, in person. We would have 60, 70 people in the Buddha Hall. And so I'm glad that through all of these it's almost, it's two years ago this week that Zen Center shut down. And um, it's really great to be able to have this still going two years later um, with people um, joining here online. So good to have you here. Um, what we'll do is we will have um, a short um, talk that um, I'll give, then we'll do um, Q&A for a little bit, um, Q&A and C, questions, answers, and comments. So whatever it is that you might want to share. Um, and um, yeah, then we'll see if people want to do breakout groups or if you want to keep the Q&A and C going. Um, and then um, we will wrap up. Um, so that's kind of what we have in front of us. So uh, here this evening, I wanted to talk a little bit about the times that we are in and I want to start off with an analogy, um, and it comes from the robes that the priests wear in um, this school of Zen, and in fact, most schools of Buddhism. Um, and you'll notice that they have one shoulder that is bare, or one shoulder that's uncovered, um, and usually there's a drape that goes across the rest of the body. But there's always that one shoulder that is uncovered. And um, it, typically, it's the right shoulder. Most people are right-handed. And the, the symbol for this has to do with um, what I would consider being prepared for life. And that's what I want to talk about is being prepared for life. Um, because being prepared is sometimes thought of as um, Michael gets all of his stuff done. I meet all of my goals and um, I make my bed and I keep my body healthy and I do Michael's Zazen and I go to Michael's counselor or business coach and I have Michael's friends and Michael's family. But that one shoulder that is uncovered is actually about preparing for life and being prepared for life means that you've prepared enough for yourself that you have extra for others, that you still have some energy for other people, that you still have something that that shoulder is work. It's like I have a hand that is ready to give other people, that's ready to show up for other people. And if I create a life for myself that's quote unquote, you know, efficient, where I'm getting all my goals met, but just barely, just barely, I've scheduled all my time to do as much as I can, you know, to meet my goals and my life and what have you. Um, but I really don't have much time if something goes wrong with a friend or a family member or a coworker or somebody on the way to work, um, I can remember so many times going to work in the financial district and I can just remember thinking, you know, I just hope I don't run into anybody. I don't have time to, I don't have time. I don't have 30 seconds. I don't have 30 seconds to talk to anybody. I'm always moving like I'm five minutes behind. And if I just move a little bit faster, I'll catch up and then maybe things will be okay. But, um, the Zen school would have it be that I'm not actually prepared for life 
unless there's a little bit extra that is prepared for somebody else. A little bit of time that's extra in the day where I can be interrupted, where I intentionally do something that's inefficient. And this really comes home at a time like this because in order for me to be prepared to meet other people and to be able to have space for other people, it takes more, I think, right now, this year, 2022, emotionally, to have that space. Um, there's so much that has gone on in the world in the last couple of years in regard to politics, in regard to social justice, in regard to this most recent um, you know, catastrophe of war that's going on. And then we have a pandemic. Um, all these things are just on the back burner most days, causing us a little bit more stress. Winding the screw, winding that, that um, coil just a little bit tighter, each one of those things. And I find that living in the world right now versus even four or five years ago, um, there's just more stresses, more external stresses, let's say. And in order for me to be able to show up for other people and to be able to show up for the world and to be able to have that one shoulder uncovered, I actually have to do more to rejuvenate myself. And I have to pay more attention to um, the little things. And that's a lot of what we learn by living in the monastery. Um, you know, living in the monastery, you have a series of things all day long that are um, getting ready for stuff. If I had a way to talk about being in the monastery, there's a lot of getting ready for stuff. Like you come downstairs to sit zazen in the morning and you don't just walk through the door and plop down on your seat and start sitting. You know, first somebody starts playing some bells and they then they play a wood block. And when you come down, you have your hands in shashu and you're walking with your ears over your shoulders and your nose in alignment with your navel. And you have your hands in this position and it's in kind of your solar plexus and you have a little bit of energy underneath your elbows and it's silent time. So I don't talk. I'm getting prepared to sit. And then I get to the shoe rack and I don't step on the mat in front of the shoe rack. I take my shoes off in front of the mat and then I step onto the shoe rack with clean socks. And then I put my shoes on the shoe rack very neatly, mindfully. And then I walk down the Ngawa to where it is that we're going to sit, the long hallway. I could walk quickly, but I don't. I walk at a fairly slow, mindful pace. And when I get to my seat, I don't just plop down on my seat. I bow once to my seat, giving thanks and connecting myself to all the people that sat before me that kept this tradition alive. And after that grounding, I turn clockwise and I give a thanks and I bow to the room. And I thank all the people that I'm sitting with today, the people that are supporting my sit, my sangha, that are helping me be there. And then I turn around and I sit down on the cushion and I spin around and I face the wall. And then I, I arrange my body the way that I arranged our bodies here earlier when we were talking, very mindfully taking 90 seconds to get into that posture 
and then breathing in a couple deep breaths and then slowly letting my body breathe itself. All of this process being done just so that I can sit, being prepared so that I can sit. And I would propose that in the world that we live in right now with the stresses that are going on in people's lives, with this war in the Ukraine, with COVID, with things that are happening politically, things that are happening around social justice, things that are happening around economic inequality, things that have really started to bubble up to the surface. These things can really turn up the stress in the background of our lives, even sometimes the foreground. And so just like when I'm going to sit every morning in the Zendo with other people, if I'm going to have a shoulder to give and a hand to give to other people, then I'm going to need to do a little bit more preparation, getting ready to live my life. So more than ever, I think that it's important that we do the very basics. And in the monastery, they schedule these things. And if you live in the monastery, you'll have them scheduled for you. And of course, if you live in the monastery, you can still always find a way to wiggle around and rebel. But there is, you know, um, something I committed myself to back in um, late December. And I want to share it with you because this is what I realized was even living in a monastery, even having good support for my practice, with all the stresses going on externally, I was feeling stressed and anxious, more so than I would like to be. And in a way that I felt was a little bit fracturing. And I decided to come back to the very basics of being prepared for life. How am I sleeping? Do I sleep eight hours a night and is it good sleep? Exercise. Do I exercise every single day for 20 minutes? Eating. Do I eat what I should eat when I should eat it every day, three times a day? The right proportions, the nutrition that I need. And am I staying connected to my friends and family? People say that if you are doing these four things, that the way that you will see the world seems vastly different. And when they do a study of how many people are actually doing those four things consistently most days, that is less than 5% of the population. And I was not doing those things consistently. I was doing those things here and there, and some of them I was doing more than others. But I decided to keep a journal. I have a sleep journal, a workout journal, an eating journal. And I was going to have goals about connecting with my family and my friends. And I wasn't going to be too busy. And I started that on December 26th. And, um, you know, there's been a couple of days since then that I didn't work out. Um, and I haven't gotten great sleep every night. But um, just doing those little things, the things they schedule those things in the monastery, they feed you in the monastery. They tell you when to go to bed. They even wave and have a little bell, a good night bell. And then they have a wake up bell. 
And, you know, then you're living in Sangha. And um, there isn't scheduled exercise, but there's blocked time that's intended to allow you to exercise. And what I have found, I have to say, over the last mm, two and a half months, is that just returning to the basics of the monastery and the basics of the things that I know to do has made a huge impact on the bandwidth that I have for other people not to be perfect. Or even just to have their life go sideways. People's lives go sideways, you know? And my life has gone sideways before, certainly more than once. And, you know, um, these things happen. And the clothing with the shoulder that's uncovered is a reminder that in order for me to actually be prepared for the day, I need to be prepared so that I can be interrupted. Not so that I can just get all of Michael's stuff done. And the only way that I can do that where I actually meet it with an honest openness, I can fake openness. I can show up for people and be kind of a little grumpy about it inside. Like, why don't you have your shit together? But, you know, to honestly be there and be spacious, people can tell. People can tell when you've got space for them, when they've got space for you to be imperfect or for you not to say the right thing or for you to not be in the perfect attitude. It's so much easier for me to come back to a decent equilibrium and decent attitude if the person that I'm interacting with gives me space to be out of balance for a period of time. You know? But if the people around you expect you to just be in balance all the time, then it makes me tight. And then eventually I will get out of balance. And can I be that person that can show up for other people's lives where I can be the one who naturally holds space where they can be imperfect and they can... Um, you know, be coming back to their equilibrium like that, you know, weeble wobble. It's still not quite coming back to its true north, you know. Um, it takes some time of rocking back and forth in order to really find where your true north is. And if people around you don't give you space to go back and forth and to find your true north, then you can end up getting really tight and really brittle. And it can be very difficult to really thrive and to bring your best self. And this is the best gift that we can give the world. It's the Bodhisattva vow, which is to show up for other people. And even in a monastery, a type A accomplishment-driven person like myself can make this about getting an A and being a monk and can make this about getting a gold star and, and having other people go, wow, you showed up to Zazen every single morning and you sat really, really well and you did your job and then you, you know, did whatever, you know, I mean, is that really what it's about? If somebody can't interrupt me in the hallway and say, I'm having a difficult time with this thing, do you have 10 minutes? And for me not to inside feel like, 
<sighs> okay. But what if I was prepared to be interrupted? What if I, you know, put that extra time in my day? Sometimes I will stick it onto my Google Calendar. And it will just be like a block of 20 minutes that, you know, like a, if you're a therapist and you see people, you know, 50 minutes and then 10 minutes for notes and 50 minutes and 10 minutes for notes. And then you have that, you know, all eight hours, like in a row, you know, where it's like 50, 10, 50, 10, you know, but what if you just knew that you were going to build 20 minutes in there on purpose, that things are just going to go sideways, you know, and it's kind of like that like approaching life, like, you know, I would like to have a two bedroom apartment, not so that I can buy more stuff, but so that when I have that person in my life that needs a place to sleep, I have a bed. Um, I can remember one time getting a, a two bedroom apartment and remembering that it was something that my dad used to say. Um, he was really into um, his church and he was a deacon. Um, he was never really into being the minister, um, but he was into being the deacon. And his father was actually a deacon in his church. And the deacon is the person that basically goes around and takes care of everything behind the scenes. Right, are the chairs set up? You know, is the lawn mowed? Um, did people remember we needed to buy coffee filters? Um, you know, did people, you know, get the offering baskets, whatever it is that needs to be done to keep everything going, you know, that's what he did. And I can remember him saying, that it's, it's always good to have a house that has an extra bed. Because you want to be able to be there for other people when they need a bed. Now, a lot of people can't afford an extra room and what have you. It's not about the money or the space, but it's just about the attitude, you know? And so in these times where there's more stress and there's more external pressure kind of pulling us in different directions where we might not feel like we really have much bandwidth for ourselves and for our own life and for the things that we need to get done. And we're just anxious about our life. It's amazing how much more time I actually seem to have for my life through trying to be able to build some time into my schedule so that I can show up for others. I can't really explain how that works mathematically, but I'm way more interruptible than I was four months ago. And is something to do with what's happening during the time that I'm working on my own stuff that it's certainly, it's underneath a different sort of light, a different sort of um, lens 
than what it was before. It's just in a different context. It's still doing the same stuff. I'm still looking at spreadsheets and financials, and I'm still meeting with people and going on Zoom calls. But somehow or another, I seem to have more time for people because that was the expectation that the day was going to hold. And it's trying to find a way where you have that an attitude where that you have one shoulder that's uncovered or where you have the attitude that you have an extra bed. And that is the Bodhisattva vow. The Bodhisattva vow that we talk about in Zen is not, I'm looking for Michael's enlightenment, but it's the thought that if there was a wall and on one side of the wall, there was enlightenment. And on the other side of the wall, there was confusion and suffering. That my goal would be to climb up and sit on top of the wall, but not go over it. And to intentionally reach down and help other people climb the wall. And there's something that I'm so grateful for about this perspective, because it has somehow or another, without me understanding how it works, but it's made me feel less anxious. And it's made me feel less worried about stuff. I still worry about things. I still get anxious about things. But the degree just seems to be turned down a few notches. And the um space for other people seems to have expanded somewhat. And that is something that I would not have come to by myself. Um, and, you know, the person that's getting an A in Zen is the person that is helping everybody else around them get an A in Zen. And so I think that the um, beauty of things like Young Urban Zen, I think the beauty of things like San Francisco Zen Center is that it gives us a place to do some things that are inefficient. And it gives us some scaffolding to do some work so that we can see that it's not about producing the results, but it's about how we actually do the work. And it's how we go about engaging in this moment with this person that's right in front of me. And when we breathe in one and we breathe out one, and we're doing our Zazen practice and we get to five and we lose our way, we just go back to one. And we don't spend a single moment lamenting the fact that I was making such good progress to 10. And I was on my path and I did not want to get interrupted by that thought that I had springing into my head like popcorn. And I wandered down some path for a second. I didn't want that. And I want to continue with six and seven. I don't want to go back to one. But we go back to one. And the reason our practice is to go back to one is that we're just doing the next thing that the moment asked for. And if we get interrupted, we got interrupted. 
And we don't lament that for one second. We just meet that moment. We just meet that person right then. And we breathe in one. And we breathe out one. It's great to be with you this evening.